Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy, the podcast that empowers you to transform life's challenges into opportunities for personal growth and healthier relationships. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. As experienced therapists with backgrounds in addressing trauma and mental health disorders, we believe there is hope and there certainly is healing. We've spent our lives supporting people through the ups and downs, and we want to share these insights with you. Together, we'll unravel the layers of personal growth healing from trauma, and building healthy relationships. Each week, we'll bring you engaging conversations, expert insights, and practical strategies to help you heal from the past, foster healthy communication, and develop enduring love. This podcast is your guide to transforming adversity into triumph, healing wounds and past trauma, gaining wisdom and insight, and creating meaningful, fulfilling connections. So if you're here to heal, to better understand yourself or your relationships, you're in the right place. So sit back, get comfortable, bring your trauma and your drama, and let's start healing. Welcome Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. Hey everyone, welcome back to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy podcast. We're so glad that you're here with us today. This month we're celebrating our one-year anniversary of the podcast. And so we are actually right now in the middle of a giveaway. So make sure you go over to the Facebook group to get more details on that. We're doing three weeks of giveaways. And so this first grouping ends tomorrow. And really all we're asking you to do is to share an episode with someone new and then to screenshot that and add it to our giveaway post. And so it's really simple. You can share it as many times as you want with a new person and that'll be an additional entry for you. And so like we said, pop over to our Facebook group to get all the details on that. In the last episode, we talked about 10 harmful coping mechanisms. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about 10 healthy coping mechanisms that we want you to begin to employ that may be helpful for you when you face a stressful time or a stressful situation. So let's jump into today's episode. So the first one we're going to discuss is exercise. And the reason why this is a healthy coping mechanism is that it releases endorphins, which is a natural painkiller and a mood elevator. And the other thing that's nice about this is, again, as long as you don't do it to excess or you're safe while you're doing it, there's no long-term negative consequences from engaging into exercise. As a matter of fact, you get tons of long-term benefits from engaging into exercise. Now, in comparison to what we talked about last week, the unhealthy coping mechanisms, exercise is not as easy as some of those unhealthy coping mechanisms, which is why people would opt not to do this healthy coping mechanism for those unhealthy ones. But this is definitely something that doing it on a regular routine basis, you can get benefits from it. A lot of times why these healthier coping mechanisms are not as alluring is because the benefits oftentimes take a little bit of time to kick in versus the unhealthy coping mechanisms, the benefits are almost immediate. And then the consequences of the unhealthy coping mechanisms, they're oftentimes a little bit more down the line. So when you first start working out, you're going to be sore. You're going to be more tired. You're not necessarily going to feel better after doing it the first couple of times. And so it can lead you to believe that there's no benefit that I'm getting from it. But as you practice it over time and you create a routine for it, then you're going to start feeling more of those physical slash psychological benefits from doing it. So number two is deep breathing, relaxation techniques, mindfulness, and meditation. So that's a bunch of things that we kind of put together. But it really helps to ground you in the present moment. It helps to calm the mind and body, especially when you're really feeling stressed out. 
And like Tim said, this is something that you want to make sure that you're practicing ahead of time. You're not just in the moment when you're feeling overwhelmed and stressed that for the very first time you're trying to practice relaxation. But when things are calm and maybe even part of your daily quiet time or your morning routine, you want to be able to practice deep breathing so that you know how to do it well, which will help in times where you really need it. And mindfulness, we've talked about a lot on the podcast, but just making sure that you are just being present and in the moment. And this can be as easy as using your five senses, you know, and using the five, four, three, two, one, where you look around and you say, what are five things that I can see? And you just kind of name that off. What are four things I can hear? And you just go down the line with your different senses, just so you are present and in the moment. So let's talk a little bit about meditation. Now, when we're meditating, we're either going to do it one of two ways. We're either choosing to focus on something in particular, or we're choosing to try to have nothing in our mind in that moment. Now, when you're trying to do either of those, you're going to a lot of times run into what's called intrusive thoughts. Something that you're not trying to think about is going to be entering into your mind. And a lot of times when you're trying to meditate, it is going to be something that needs to be addressed, something that needs to be managed. I remember hearing this really fantastic explanation for meditation that I think really helps conceptualize this. So if you're one of those people who likes to have 10,000 emails unread in their inbox, then those unread emails are like the cares and the worries that you have that need to be addressed. And if you're trying to meditate, you basically need to get your inbox down to zero. There's nothing. There's no cares. There's no worries. I've addressed everything that I currently can address. I've got a plan for things that I can't currently address. And so now my inbox is at zero. So when you're starting this journey of trying to meditate either on a specific thing or kind of just keeping your mind more empty, you're going to have to run through these different things that need to be addressed. And then when you start addressing them, you're clearing out that inbox. So then you're not going to get the intrusive thought about that topic anymore. And so you just keep going through. And this may take a while. So you may not actually get to sit down and do meditation the first time and have it go the way that you want it to. This may be over the course of several weeks or several months that you have to go through this process of trying to zero out your inbox so that you can actually make sure that your mind is focusing on what you really want it to be focusing on. And I think a lot of times as Christians, when people say meditation, they get a little scared and they think, oh, that's such a new agey thing that I want to stay far away from. But really, in the Bible, it talks about meditation a lot. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Psalm 1.2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So it's nothing that we have to stay away from. It's something that as Christians, we want to make sure that we're doing. We want to make sure that we're meditating, pondering, ruminating on his word. And even if that's just one piece of scripture that the Lord's really put on your heart and you meditate on that, what does that mean? And you memorize it so that we can hide his word in our heart. And when we meditate on it, it can penetrate our hearts and begin to change us into more and more of his image and his likeness. Number three is talking about it. Now, a lot of times people can think that this produces no benefit. I've actually heard a lot of people say, well, why do I want to talk about it? It's not going to change anything. 
And the truth is, when you have a problem, talking about it might not change the fact that you do have that problem, but it can do a couple of different things. One, when you talk about it, at the very least, what you can do is you can kind of release and express the emotions that you're holding inside. When we hold those emotions in, it causes all kinds of emotional difficulties and problems in the long run. And so even if you can't really solve that problem through talking through it, talking about it can help you feel differently about it. Another thing that talking this through with people can help with is getting an outside perspective, getting a different angle or a different way to think about it, or being able to solve a problem in a way that you couldn't come up with on your own. So when you think about talking about something, you definitely can also get practical benefits from it. Hey, I didn't think of that. That's actually very helpful. Now I can solve this. And I think a lot of times people are concerned or worried about, hey, if I talk about this or I talk about my problems, people are just going to feel like I'm complaining or I'm whining or something along those lines. And I will say there's a difference between complaining and venting. I like to define venting as a one-time expression where you're talking about your frustrations or your dissatisfaction with a particular situation that either one, you don't have any ability to change that situation, or two, you've chosen not to act. And you definitely can get a cathartic experience from that, this emotional release from going through that one-time experience. But I define complaining as talking about the same situation multiple times over again when either one, you can't change it, or two, you've chosen not to change it. And so there's that difference. If you're going to friends and family and you're talking about it and you're venting about the situation one time, I think there's a very healthy benefit you can get from it. But if you keep going back and just revisiting and revisiting and revisiting it, I think you're actually doing yourself harm. I think another reason why people also shy away from talking is that when we're talking about a particularly emotionally charged situation, it doesn't feel good. It might make you cry. It might make you angry. And people will identify those immediate results as, see, talking about it's bad. But actually what happens is there's a little bit of a lag time in between when you talk about the situation and the beneficial feelings that you get. It might be an hour or two hours. It might even be the next day. But a lot of times after you've really talked through a very difficult situation, you can feel better hours or a day later and not really associate it with the fact that you talk to somebody about that. You might associate it with just randomly, oh, I'm feeling better now all of a sudden. But actually you did actions earlier that helped you to get that feeling later on. Number four is setting boundaries. And for some, this may feel like, well, that's not really a coping mechanism. But I do think if you can immediately put boundaries into place, you can feel a lot of relief in your current situation. But it also is a preventative for the future. But when you think of whatever stressful situation you're enduring right now or you're feeling overwhelmed, what boundaries can you put into place? Whether it's for other people that they are infringing on your boundaries and you need to set up healthy boundaries in relationships or boundaries for yourself. What are some healthy boundaries that you can employ for yourself? And this might even look like your time that I need to set boundaries and I need to make sure that we have margin in our schedule. But as you do this more and more, you will experience the benefits. And it will really help you cope with your current stressors. Or maybe it's boundaries in your work-life balance. How are you going to set those boundaries and allow yourself to not feel stressed and not bringing things home from work? But there's a lot of boundaries that can be put into place to help you cope with your current situations. And if you heard the word boundaries and you got a little bit of a cringe, a part of why that may be is you may have run into people who may be using boundaries in somewhat of a toxic way. And I just want to address that you can have a healthy thing and people can take that healthy thing and use them in unhealthy ways. 
An example of a healthy boundary isn't, hey, I get to do whatever I want and you can't say anything to me about it because that's my boundary, right? That would be an example of somebody taking a healthy thing and then twisting it and turning it into a toxic thing. So when we're talking about boundaries, it's just about boundaries of where you will allow people to go and then where you will restrict them from going. And it's not something where you use boundaries as a hammer to wield against other people. It's something that you use as a measure to protect yourself. So another healthy coping mechanism that you can do is spending some time in nature. Whether you go to the beach, a lake, you go walking through the forest, or you go visit the desert or the Grand Canyon or something like that. You're just going out and you're spending time enjoying nature and just kind of disconnecting a little bit from all the worries of the world. And this isn't trying to be avoidant, but it is taking time where you're just kind of shutting things down and you're really realigning your focus with something else. So there's a lot of emotional benefits that you can get from just going outdoors and spending some time outside. You can get some extra sun exposure that can help you get some vitamin D. Walking around and then just looking at nature is something else to focus on paying attention to what you see, the beauty of everything that's out and around you, and then just not being around electronics and just having some solace and some time to yourself or some time with friends when you're just kind of able to disconnect a little bit from the modern world. And number six is healthy eating. And so nutritious foods can boost your mental health by providing your body with essential vitamins, minerals, nutrients. And this is one of the things where Tim was talking about in the very beginning where sometimes it's not an immediate benefit. So you might be thinking, oh, I'm going to go eat a salad and it's going to fix my mental health. And the answer is no, it won't right away. But it's a part of a piece of a puzzle that can help you feel better. But this is definitely one of those things where in the moment, I don't really want to go and eat something healthy. I want to just grab whatever I want to eat and go on with my day. But when we were talking about the unhealthy coping mechanisms, we talked about how a lot of those things in the moment It's what we chose because it was easier, it made us feel better, but that there are compounding effects and compounding consequences that we experience later. And I think this is one of those things where it's a choice and it's a decision, but this is definitely part of the piece of having a healthy life overall. Number seven is artistic expression. Whether it's painting, writing, or music, any form of artistic expression that you get into can really help you to focus your mind and you can enjoy the end results of the time that you spent in there. Whether you're playing a song or you learn a new song or you write a song or you do this painting that you're then proud of later. I'm not very artistically inclined. I really like adult coloring books or mandala coloring books. And it's just this very complex scene or this complex image that I'm coloring in. And I just lose myself in those sometimes. And it's an activity that I've done a lot with the kids where they'll be coloring and I'll color with them. And then I'll spend 15, 20, 30 minutes doing that. And then at the end, I've been very focused. I've been able to enjoy that time. And then at the end, when I'm looking at the end results, I'm like, man, that looks really cool. And that's fun. And that's for somebody like I could never just sit down and paint something and have it come out looking good. But I could sit down, do this coloring book and choose colors and just color in the little sections and then have it look really good at the end. And it feels good having that as the end result. And I think this is one of those things where we are just so busy throughout the day. We're running around. We're going from place to place. And even if we are home, we feel like, oh, my gosh, I have to get to this and I have to do this. And so we're so busy that we don't slow down enough to use this part of our brain. But it's so healthy to implement this. And I know for me, I get that way where I feel like, oh, man, I have so much to do. It's such a waste of time to sit here and color or craft or do all these other things, but it's really not. 
It helps to calm you. It helps to put you in a better space. It's a great way to spend time with your kids that way because kids love to express themselves through crafts. And even if this isn't something that you're creating, it could be sitting and listening to a piece of music. But the time that you do carve out for this, it really is beneficial and it really is calming and good for your soul. Number eight is very similar, doing a hobby. So this could be something that's artistic. This could be writing or journaling or creating in that sense, but it could also be something totally different. So maybe your hobby is to create music or home decor or t-shirts, but maybe your hobby is playing racquetball, playing tennis, going for hikes, or any number of other things but finding something that you love to do. And it's even a bonus if you find something that you and your spouse love to do together. Another coping skill is physical touch. Whether it's with another person or it's a pet or an animal, there's a lot of physiological, psychological benefit that you can get and positive release you can just get from hugging somebody or just playing with your dog or something along those lines. And we can overlook these things and think that they're relatively trivial, But these are actually meaningful differences that you can get from doing this. One of the things we've been doing for a while is whenever I've been separated from the kids for a little bit, whether it's work or just waking up in the morning or something along those lines, they will all rush to give me a hug. And I can notice when I give them a hug, there's a release of tension where they almost just kind of sigh after they do it. And I feel their whole body just kind of relax. And I notice that for myself when I give them a hug. It just, I feel this positive beneficial response from doing that. One of the really nice things about pets is they're almost always very excited to see you, very happy to see you. And just playing with them can really produce a very positive psychological effect. And number 10 is to laugh. And I know when you are upset and angry, you feel like there's nothing that's going to make me happy or I can't just laugh on command. But this is where it's good to find something when you're calm and things are going good so that you know when you are upset, what makes you laugh? What makes you smile? A photo or a video that you took on your phone that when you go back and you look at it, it just really makes you laugh. Or maybe you have a movie or a comedian that makes you laugh. Or have you ever seen those videos where people give a fake laugh in a group and eventually it causes them to really laugh? And sometimes we do this with our kids when they're not getting along. We have them face each other and they're supposed to just stare at each other and eventually they end up laughing. But laughter is such a positive tool to have. So finding ways to get yourself to laugh. And this may be something where you have to train yourself to find more joy in things. And if you feel like, oh, man, I really can't find anything to laugh about or find anything to be joyful about, then I would go back to gratitude and finding three things that you're thankful for, even if it's just your basic needs being met. So in addition to laughing or finding joy, we'll kind of combine that with gratitude for number 10. All right, you guys, those are the 10 healthy coping skills that we hope you practice throughout this week. And remember to pop over to the Facebook group so you can enter into our giveaway. We hope you guys have a great day. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode and found it helpful. If so, would you take 30 seconds and share it with a friend? Also, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It lights us up to know that this podcast is helping you. 
If you have any questions or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group. Just click the link in the description below. Although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. If you are struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or feeling hopeless or suicidal, you are not alone. Help is available. Please seek professional help or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988. Thank you again for joining us on Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. Remember, there's always hope and there's always help.